was a garden, you know. That was Roman Candle from their 2009 album, O Tall Tree in the Ear, which is a line from good old Uncle Walt. Roman Candle with Eden Was a Garden. Before that, a lesson on how to recognize a work of art. That was Mailer Jones, whose 2016 album was entitled 2013, and How to Recognize a Work of Art. That set began with Raina, Nick Waterhouse, 2012, and the album Time's All Gone. Well, time's all gone for today's ride on the morning train. We'll send today's show out to my friend Sarah, and this is J.D. Buell saying, until we ride again next Friday at 10 a.m., make it a great day for someone.
Rocket Dog Rescue is a Bay Area organization that works to save dogs from death at overcrowded shelters. And Please be advised that the following program contains language and content of an adult nature. This is Stephen Weber. I'm Jennifer Westphal. I'm Bruce Davison. I'm Christine Lottie. I'm Dennis Boutsikaris. I'm Amy Peets. This is L.A. Theatre Works. I'm Susan Lowenberg. I did not do anything wrong that was not in the interest and all the time that I worked for Enron Corporation that was in the interest of the shareholders of the company. That's the voice of Jeffrey Skilling, the former president of the Enron Corporation, testifying before Congress in the wake of Enron's devastating collapse in December of 2001. The overwhelming evidence of Skilling's involvement eventually led to his conviction on charges ranging from conspiracy to securities fraud. But our story this week grapples with the one question that remained for Enron's thousands of defrauded investors and employees. Why? Enron by Lucy Preble, this week on L.A. Theatre Works. In hour one of Enron, America is at the height of an economic boom. The 90s. It feels genuinely like the most exciting time to do business in the history of the world. And one man has emerged as its most important player. Today, I'm pleased to announce the appointment of Jeffrey Skilling to the post of president of the Enron Corporation. But as Skilling's game of strategy gives way to subterfuge... We could push those losses into this other entity, sell it to this entity, so we make money and move a loss off the books, wait for it to turn to profit... Then move it back. The threat of collapse looms ever larger. How can we be worth $60 billion? Well, if someone's prepared to pay that much, then that's what we're worth. <laughs> but that's huge! That's fantastic! $60 billion! And now, Hour 2 of Enron by Lucy Preble, starring Gregory Itzen, Stephen Weber, Greg Gurman, and Amy Peets. Produced by L.A. Theatre Works. Yeah, everything's peachy. Yeah, this place got big. Yeah, you won't believe the investment I got us. You wanted LJM to look official. Well, I've got 15 million from J.P. Morgan, 10 million Credit Suisse, 5 million from Merrill. Everyone wants in with LJM. Everyone wants to invest in our shadow. <laughs> Why? Hey, Mr. Bastow. Oh, wait a second. It's the Lehman Brothers. <laughs> what do you guys want? We. Wondering. You know, I'm busy here. What the f*** do you want? Well, that, that, that's one of the biggest investment banks in the world. You can't talk to them that No, no, way. no, no, but that's the thing, Jeff. I can. They, they're all so desperate to be seen alongside Enron. And, and who's Enron's CFO? He's just check it out. We were in talk about doing some underwriting work for Enron. For Enron? Yeah, we were hoping. You consider giving us the contract. Well, the way I see it, if I give you a contract worth tens of millions of dollars, least you can do is invest in a side project I got going on. Nah. Okay, of course, Enron could take its business elsewhere. No, 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 Andy, we heard. What you looking for? Mm, let's start small. How about 10 million? 10 million? Everybody up at Enron okay with this, Jeff? What are you asking me for? I, I mean, mean, 
We, we assumed it was fine. You got a problem with LJM? Not at all. You got a problem with Andy? Well, he's got a certain... You do? You got a problem with me? No, sir. Absolutely not. LJM's a real groundbreaking strategy. Here's the money. Nice doing business. Good job, fellas. Uh, hey, Lehman Brothers. Yes? What's your analyst rating our stock at? Uh, buy. Not strong buy? Not right now. Let me. If you rated us strong buy, more people would invest in Enron, right? I guess. And if more people invest in Enron, we can finance more projects, which makes Enron stronger, and therefore... Making it a strong buy. A strong buy. You see how it makes sense now? Now get the f*** out of here before I change my mind. Thanks. Well, I... I can't believe it. Everything upstairs is, is compared to this. I know. I think we found the future of business by accident. <laughs> but where does all the debt go? What was that? Nothing. No, 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 no. What, what is that? Don't worry about it. Jeez. This the Raptors. You like them? They like you. That's where the debt goes. These sort of entities, we could never have them publicly at Enron. But LJM doesn't need to show its books. We can experiment here. Look, here you are, baby. A lovely dollar bill. They're consuming our debt. Yes, debts just. Money. All money is debt. In what sense? But if the bank gives you money, you owe them. You put money in the bank, they owe you. All money is debt. It's just how you present it. Uh, go on. Okay, well, this one here is dealing with broadband. This one's taking care of video on demand while we set it up. And that one, that one's consuming all the debt coming out of that rusting hulk of a power plant in Dabul. Uh, that plant has no power coming out of it. It's, it's surrounded by protesters. Boy, when Claudia makes a deal, it doesn't just lose money. People march against it. You've got to put a stop to all that. Oh, this is the future. Not Claudia and her gift from Grandpa. Ken's got to accept it's my show. He has to. You think her numbers are right? Her division's numbers? Yeah. You think she's doing anything untoward? I'd be surprised if there was nothing untoward. I mean, everybody, you know. You want me to take a look? Uh, if you have cause for concern. Well, sure. I mean, uh, I can tell clever numbers. <laughs> I'm the king of them. <laughs> Something is happening to business at the beginning of this century. Things have started to get divorced from the underlying realities. The best metaphor is this. Say we hold a competition here to determine who is the most beautiful woman in this room. Everyone gets a vote, and the woman will be the one with the most votes, and you'd win if you bet on her. Now, the smart player wouldn't look at all the women in the room and choose the one he finds most beautiful. No. The smart player would try and imagine what average opinion would state is the most beautiful woman and vote for her. But there's a level above that where the really smart person would assume that most other people are doing the same thing. And so they would try and choose the woman that most other people would think was most other people's idea of the most beautiful woman and vote for her. 
And there's even a level above that and above that. And those are the values that determine prices, commodities, and everybody's future. And who actually is the most beautiful woman in the room is irrelevant. Did you do it, Ken? I still feel raw about that. I felt Claudia had to hear it from you. Can't recall what her thinking was there now. She wouldn't have taken it seriously from, from me. I never did like letting people go. You want to have a cigar? I'm um, good, thanks. Here, take it. I was very disappointed in the things Claudia said in there. Didn't show a lot of class. Regarding what? I don't believe she had to go so far in trying to save her own skin. Well, I didn't want to have to bring those figures to your attention. I, I know they didn't look like much, but... Any they... deceit is deceit. If something's brought before me, I have to act on it. Doesn't have to be brought before me, of course. Sure. But you made that decision and you brought it before me. And a chain of events was put in place. Difficult to break that chain. You want to pray with me, Jeffrey? Uh, sure. Amen. It's a privilege. <laughs> Don't you worry, son. You know how you can tell a scout on a pioneer wagon? He's the one with all the arrows sticking out of him. Listen, I know it's not been easy having an old man on your back all the time. Now, you want to ride out and get the bit in your teeth. I'm all for that. I'm going to take a step back. The place you can use me is on the board on the Washington golf courses and charity luncheons. That's what I'm good at. You just carry on making us millions. We really got to get deregulation moving. That's how we're going to make our money. I'm going to have more talk with Junior. I got hope for him yet. We're financing that whole campaign if he doesn't come through. These things take time. Government. Can't even smoke these indoors anymore. Oh, you knew what you want, Ken. Uh-uh. Can't even smoke indoors. Could have jumped, are you, Claude? Don't move. Don't you dare go anywhere. You can go and get any number of jobs. I want to work here. This is where I work. Well, not anymore. That man had faith in me for 15 years. I have given my life to this company, and you had him come in and talk to me like I'm some thieving kid in this store. I asked Ken because I thought it would be worse for me to fire you. <sighs> I was not fired, I resigned. You show me one part of my numbers done differently from anyone else. You lied to get me out. I didn't have to lie. You're an amateur. We'll see about that. Did you tell Ken something that I should know about? There's rumors. Is it true broadband and electricity aren't bringing in any oh. money? That video on demand doesn't even have the technology developed? Why do people talk that way? We'll make those profits. It... it it's like playing poker. 
with these guys who get mad when you win on the last card. Why'd you stay in? You're not playing properly. It's poker, you idiot. Doesn't matter how you win as long as you win. When electricity gets deregulated... Electricity won't be deregulated. Ken's not going to get that kid in the White House. We will. I could have made India work. All your deals getting done all the time. Bad deals. Sign it, book it, throw it over the fence. Doesn't matter if it's a bad deal. Just get the deal done. You don't know anything. I know you. You know when you went to that college in Pennsylvania? I went to Harvard. When your father showed you around his old college in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, you told me about it our first night. You looked out that window, saw all those abandoned steel mills for miles. All that dead industry, that gray sky. I left all that behind. No. That's what you're creating now. Get out of my building. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go home to my beautiful children. And I am going to sell every single one of my shares. One, two, three, four, five. Uh, I have to check the stock price. Why? Because that's how daddy knows how much he's worth. Why? Well, the market knows how many people believe in daddy, and that's important. Why? It's important because I want people to like me. I don't want them to go around saying bad things. Why? Because in business, these things matter. Why? Because it's important to look strong. That's the first thing. Why? That's how we make money. Why? Because I want to provide for you. Why? Because I love you. Now, let Daddy go to work. Our stock is so strong, so strong, that I think all employees should have the opportunity to benefit. So I want to extend the stock option to everybody from the mailroom all the way up. Why are we paid in stock and not cash? (laughs) Because if you're invested in the company you work for, you are literally investing in yourself. It is an act of belief in yourself, which you should all have. Because I believe in you so grab that opportunity now tonight's a big night for us i hope you've all voted i don't know if you know but we got a local boy in the race (laughs) when this will all unfold but we will continue to keep our eye on this and keep you updated thank you indiana called for bush plus 12 electoral votes yes Vermont called for Gore, plus three electoral votes. Uh, Florida, too close to call. uh, Hey, uh, you got it on down here? Sure. Yeah, we're having a party. Alabama, too close to call. I'm going crazy with this. Hey, hey, they're they're calling my baby. New Jersey called for Gore, plus 15. Uh, Damn you, New Jersey. I love you, but you break my... Those are my cousins there. Oh, oh, now we got the big boys. Lone Star. Texas called for Bush, plus 32. Come on. Uh, yeah, but here goes the other side. California called for Gore, plus 54. Surprise. Uh, it's all about Florida. Florida called for Gore, plus 25. Oh, no. Turn that down. Okay, have a little faith. Faith, Andy, you got to understand. 
I don't have any cash. I can't operate. I, I have no money. Without someone friendly to us right now, we are dead. And I haven't been sleeping. People need to get paid. Pay them in uh, stock. Our stock Everyone prices. is paid in stock already. It can't go down. No, it can't. The whole setup is founded on the stock price. I know price. that. Are you saying it's going I'm down? I'm saying it can't well, that, that's go That's what down. I'm saying. Well, stop telling me what well, I, I already I'm trying know. to make it well, work. Well, that's your job, ain't it? Sorry. Wait, you need capital? You need cash? One, two, three? <sighs> More like four. Four million? I can find... A million? No. You need four billion dollars cash with the world's most innovative company how can we not find four billion dollars that's not what i do this is all this is structured finance this is how it looks i can't make real money just appear then what good are you then we are going down wait, Andy, wait. and it's your recount florida called for bush what, what, what does that mean? No, if you need actual capital, but they called it if for you gourds. need cash coming in the door, actual cash, then you need to sell something real. I've sold everything. So what, what are we, one? Fox says yes. CNN says no. Florida retracted from Bush. No. What are they doing? Well, they got to decide. What is going on out Someone, there? They got to call them. What dumbass is running this they thing? They can't do this. If there's one thing this country won't stand for, it's ambiguity. <laughs> Who's won? Who's, Who's won? Who's won? Gentlemen. Guess who's just got off a call with the next president of the United States? Oh, say we got a Texan in the White House. Like father, like son. Oh, thank and, you, thank you. And we got ourselves a deregulated state to play with. There's your cash. A small state or, or... The state of California has announced it's going to be the first state to implement a deregulated electricity market. I, George Walker Bush, do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So help me God. Gentlemen, we finally got our chance to move out all across the country. This is about freedom. This is about competition. A deregulated system means one thing and one thing only controls electricity. The market. So I'm setting you free in California, fellas. Bring it on home. Okay, traders, we're going to get a little creative. We're free to move the power around, take it out of the state, and move it out so the price goes up. And then who are they going to run to? California! Yes, people! An electricity market of such complexity designed by people of such simplicity. <laughs> Let's find arbitrage opportunities. Let's play! Yeah. Hi. I'm calling up from Enron. We are buying as much electricity as we can and taking it out of the state. Push the prices up and get them high. Sell it back when they're desperate. Most beautiful thing about electricity? It, it cannot be stored. Holy Prices up to 100. I've never oh, seen prices like these. <laughs> Welcome to the beautiful state of California. We're yes. making billions of dollars for Enron. Enron.
California's power supply came up short today and the lights went out. Rolling blackouts have hit the sixth largest economy in the world. For the first time in 65 years, the electric power market is in chaos. Electricity rates are climbing and California has gone into meltdown. Well, there's a fire on the coal line. Burn, baby, burn! Another day, another death in the story of California's blackouts. The driver of a station wagon was killed early Friday when she collided with a transit bus at an Oakland intersection where the traffic lights were down. This after surgeons were left without operating lights in San Pablo, forcing patients to be airlifted out of state. <laughs> Today, the governor of California, Gray Davis, declared a state of emergency after being forced to cut power for hundreds of thousands of people throughout the state. Kenneth Lay here for the governor of California. Governor, I understand you're considering running for president. You'd think it's going to help you any to have the sixth largest economy in the world go dark on your watch. Voters remember that sort of thing. So how about paying the prices we're asking? Well, I'm sorry to hear you say that, Governor. Boys, step it up. Come on. Ah, this is the largest single transfer of wealth I've ever seen. Okay, okay. You know the difference between the state of California and the Titanic? At least when the Titanic went down, the lights were on. <laughs> Hi, Mr. Mayor. I'm sure we can get this little blackout business under control. Mr. Lay. Yeah, if you'd like to go on through. Mr. Lay. Yeah. Thanks for coming out. If you just go on through, don't worry. I got just a guy to fix this. Hi. Mr. Schwarzenegger. <laughs> I'm so glad you could make it. Now, let's go inside and talk about the future of California. Uh, yeah. <laughs> ah, hate those guys, hate those legislators and politicians, and not because they restrict business. I hate government because I know those guys. I went to school with them. I got headhunted. And those frat party, no nothing who never got the call designed the regulations for an energy market they know nothing about. Mm -hmm. It's my job to find ways around that. Why should we respect ineptitude? Who do you think is going to win in the end? The greedy or the inept? We're, we're not perfect, but wait till you see the other guys. Understood. So why the are people picketing my house? Well, there were deaths in California. If I'm going to represent you, I need to know your level of involvement. I want you to represent me, not the company. I did not kill anyone. There may be civil suits against you. Oh, this is crazy. I can find other companies that were out there doing this. But you're getting the bad press because your guys gave it a name. What do you mean? Uh, ricochet, Fat Boy, Burnout, Death Star... All on record is your traders' names for their strategies in California. <sighs> Death Star? That's what I'm saying. Death Star. It makes it sound like a kid's video game. That's a perception problem, Jeff. Sending a state into chaos is, you know, that's more than just a perception problem. Will this affect the stock price? I'm a lawyer and not a stock analyst. Because that cannot happen. Well, maybe you should have thought of that before. But we didn't do anything illegal in California. Yeah, that's a matter of opinion. I got a group of the smartest people in the world here who can tell you why what they did was not illegal. Well, if it wasn't illegal, it was stupid. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think you understand how markets work. I'm not interested in the economics. So what are you interested in? Protecting you. They're going to imply that your traders caused huge blackouts in California for months, maybe years. 
that you gamed the state. The state's regulations were a mess. And you took advantage of that? Took advantage of that. Are, 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 are you kidding me? Took advantage of... That's what we do. In business, you buy something at one price, you sell it at a higher one, and what's in between, that's your advantage which you take. That's how the world works. If you want an objective morality present in every contract, you're living in a dream. You know how difficult it is to get five people in a room to agree to anything? The only way I can be sure I can trust a contract is because every party's in it for themselves. So when you ask, did we take advantage of that? You know what I hear? I hear, do you make a living? Do you breathe in and out? Are you a man? And I know that the only difference between me and the people judging me is that they weren't smart enough to do what we did. Now, are you going to judge me or are you going to help me? All right. There'll be a couple of guys in trading will take a fall. They'll get a little wire fraud. There will only be a bigger problem if there's anything else. I okay, mean, underlying... okay, okay. Security? You want me to take a look at something, sir? Yes, please. Yeah. I'll take care of it. Uh, thanks. <clears throat> hey. Sir? I'm sorry. This is a little... Uh... Can you, can can you sweep this office for uh, equipment or or recording? You think you're being bugged, sir? Maybe something. That might be a matter for the FBI. No, no. Just take a look. You think it's the government, sir? No, no. A rival company. I don't know. I I just got a feeling. Hmm? Huh? Huh? <clears throat> So, uh, uh, how's things in uh, maintenance? I'm in security, sir. Sure, sure. It's good. Yeah? You got all your 401ks? You're all okay? Oh, absolutely, sir. Now, I got a daughter. I'd like her to go to college. Or do something real. Well, things become a lot easier with the stock options you've given us. That becomes a possibility. Yeah, good, good. Listen, can you hear, like... Um, a hiss, like, like, y y y you can tell something's on. Wait, maybe under, uh, here. Uh, right. Let's see, shh. There's a sort of ticking sound. Might that be your watch, sir? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, right. <laughs> But it, it was. Well, earlier. it could be something that just needs rewiring. You know, sometimes a static charge. Yeah. Well, you let me know if you hear anything. Sure. It, 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 it's hot out, don't you think? Well, it's real dry. Trees are bribing the dogs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, yeah, you'll be straight. So I've been thinking about our next venture. Been thinking about taking Enron into weather. Weather? Yeah. For investors or companies whose worth can be damaged by bad weather, we can carve out a market in protecting against that. 
Have people buy up shares in weather. Like insurance. Uh, sort of, yeah. We, we, we break up the risk, sell it off in parts like credit derivatives. Uh, you're losing me, sir. Sit down, sit down. I can explain it to you in well, minutes. Sounds a little out no, of It makes total sense. I just want to do my job. Oh, so you don't want to hear what's next for the company? You're telling me I need... Sit down. You want to be a doorman the rest of your life? Sit down and listen. I'm a security officer, sir. Oh, sure. I, I, I know. I just got a shift I got to do is mm-hmm. all. Didn't mean to be wasting your time. <laughs> Nothing to it. We trust you all up here, sir. Very Enron, though. Dealing in weather. Sure. It's your company, sir. You run it how you want it run. Yes. Mr. Skilling, there's a reporter on the line from Fortune magazine. Jeff Skilling. Ah, I can't answer those questions right now. I'm not an accountant. (laughs) Look, no, I don't think you understand the complexity of the way we operate here. If you print an article now without our side, I personally think that's unethical. Sure, I'll send someone out at Enron's expense. He'll fly out and help you understand the questions you're asking. Okay. God damn. Andy? Uh, huh. Hi, girls. Hey. Hey, 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 it's me. Ah! Get away! Andy! Hey, hey! Taser. It'll be fine. Uh, something's spooked. What's wrong with that one? I, I, it's sick. I, I don't know. Maybe I gave it too much. Too much what? Hmm? Oh, of the death, Jeff. Will it spread? No. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Well, well, all right, that, that's a good reason. That's a good excuse. We're getting rid of them. No, no, Jeff. You heard me. No, we can't. They're consuming a billion dollars worth of debt. Get we- rid of them. I need you to fly out to New York. What's in New York? Uh, A reporter, Fortune magazine. They're running an article on us. A reporter wants to talk to me? It's not a positive article. What do you mean it's not a positive article? They have questions. Well, well, forget them. We don't need to answer their questions. You've got to go out there and explain how it works, how money flows through the business, that we're not a black box. But we are a black box, We are not. We are a logistics company with a ton of great ideas. I don't want to leave LJM. You are going. No, please don't make me go. You are chief financial officer. Jeff, I'm best here. You're going to have to choose between LJM and Enron. I created LJM. I created you. Andy, I love you, and I would do anything for you. But you're going to have to choose. What am I going to say? Look, if we disclose everything, there'll be a panic, right? Right. Right. So if everyone's good, they don't want trouble, we don't want trouble. Okay, but trouble. what if they do want trouble, Jeff? I mean, they're a magazine. What if they take a look? What if they take a really close look and they come to the conclusion that everything's just hedged against our don't own stock? dare no, say what that if they look and they presence. see that underneath there's nothing actually 20,000 employees taking on paychecks, nothing. World's most innovative company. We run Texas. Is that nothing? Then the world's nothing. Hey, yeah. 
Here you are. Uh, listen, I need your opinion. I don't know which of these patterns for the cabin of the new jet. Andy has to fly out to New York. There's a loss of confidence, I think, going on. So I'm hearing, I'll talk to Dick. That won't do it, Ken. This has all been across your desk. You know what's going on. Listen, you boys are talking business. I, I mean, I was only doing what I was asked to and do. And if the stock falls... The stock is not going to fall. That is not going to happen. You're running the show, Jeff. We need to have a conversation. I don't want to have a conversation. Won't you bury a dead dog? You don't dig it up to smell it. I'm taking no notice of anything in here. And I mean anything. Now, which goddamn pattern? Um, that one. Okay. Okay, listen up. This is a confidence thing. You're going to have to make a call with the stock analysts to reassure the market. It's just a confidence thing. Now! Okay. Uh, okay, sure. Okay, okay. I'll go. I'll just take all the paperwork, throw information at them, bury them in it. You don't belong to me, boy. Sorry, girls. I gotta take you off the books. I don't care what they say about the company. As long as they don't make me look bad. just needs a bit of faith restored. Stand straight, Jeffrey. This is an important call. You couldn't shave? I know. I'm fine. I'm Jeff Skilling. Okay. Let's do it. Here we go. Yes, yes, yes. It's just an, uh, an outstanding quarter. Another outstanding quarter. We're growing real quick in earnings and revenue, and we have the strongest position in every market we're in. You know, so I, I have no idea why our stock's is as low as it is, $54. <laughs> that, that, that's crazy. Uh, people are saying we're opaque. We're a black box. We're not. That's like calling Michael Jordan a black box just because you don't know what he's going to score each quarter. We are very optimistic. You'll take questions I'll now. I'll take questions now. Yes. Richard Grubman here. Hello. Mr. Grubman. Uh, yeah, hello. I, I don't really care about earnings at this point. What I want to see is a balance sheet. We'll have that done shortly, but uh, until we put all that together, we, we just cannot give you that. <sighs> I'm trying to understand why that would be an unreasonable request. I'm not saying that we can't tell you what the balances are, but we'll wait at this point to disclose those until all the right accounting is put together. You're the only financial institution that cannot produce a balance sheet or a cash flow statement with their earnings. Well, you're, you're, you, uh, well, uh, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Appreciate it? What? Apologize! Shh. 
shockwaves were sent through the market today as chief executive of Enron, Jeffrey Skilling, referred to a senior stock analyst with a common but offensive term. You are never going to guess what the f*** just happened. I think the big JS is losing it. You got a share price on Enron? Something's going on down there. Called a Wall Street analyst and a-hole during a conference call? CEO's gone sort of I'm going to recommend that we hold. I don't know for now. I'm hearing stuff here I don't like. Enron, the energy company. I want to ask for the book. Rumors they're a black box. You want to sell? I want to sell. Are people selling? Okay, we're out of there. Hold on, Enron. Sell. Hold. Sell. Somebody's selling. Enron. Sell. Hold. Okay. Selling. What's the market doing? Hold. Selling. Enron. Sell. Sell. Selling Enron. Enron. Come on, this is this is crazy. I mean, it's going into free. Everything's going to be fine. Don't don't be idiotic. Jesus, stop. Oh no. Oh God. Hi, sweetheart. Hi, it's your dad. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm sorry. I know. It, it, it's four in the morning. Is your mom there? Ooh, okay. Well, this is important. I need you to tell her something. Are, are, are you awake? Okay. Tell her to sell her shares. <laughs> sell her shares. All of them. Okay. I love you. What do you want? You want me? Is that it? Is that what you want? You're resigning, Jeff? We wanted to tell you first. When are you going public with this? Uh, 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 Later on today. We we don't want the market getting the wrong idea. Uh, You've always been a great cheerleader for us. I'm a professional stock analyst. Yes, ma'am. Let's not pretend, Jeff. This is highly unusual. There should be a year leading up to this. A structured handover. Why are you resigning? Companies in great shape. Couldn't be less to do with that. A company like this... It consumes your life. Oh. I've neglected my daughter. This, this is personal. It's not because of the stock. I'm doing this for the company. It'll go up when I announce. The, the Marx has decided. It wants me out. But that's not true. People say all over, I'm not long Enron, but I'm long Jeff Skilling. <laughs> well, you, you, you pour your life into something. and If it doesn't reflect back at you... Ugh, I'm so tired. <laughs> I can't sleep. Are you worried about recent performance? Are there accounting issues? There are no accounting issues. Is that issues. why you can't sleep? Uh, I haven't slept since I was 14. Mm. I can honestly say the company's in the best shape it's ever been. Jeff? I should go. Yeah, you go. Uh, uh, get ready to announce. Whew. This is a blow for you. I'd prefer to stay. That fortune article raised a lot of questions. Now, I've always been a supporter of Enron Corporation, but you know, the CEO leaving like this, that doesn't spin. You're going to have to hold this thing together. Don't you worry about anything here. I'm a safe pair of hands. In breaking news, Enron's CEO has resigned. Now the market's left asking the question the company is famous for. Why? More of Enron, starring Gregory Itzen and Stephen Weber in a moment. 
If you've missed anything so far, you can listen online at latw.org or check this station's website and send us your comments and suggestions. Our email address is radio at latw.org. This is L.A. Theatre Works. Support for L.A. Theatre Works is provided by the many friends and contributors who are our producing partners. More information about how to become a supporter of L.A. Theatre Works is available at latw.org. Additional funding is provided by Audiophile, the magazine for people who love audiobooks. Read online reviews and author profiles, listen to sound clips, find earphone award winners, and new releases such as L.A. Theatre Works' The Rivalry, the electrifying dramatization of the history-making Lincoln-Douglas debate starring Paul Giamatti and David Strathera. More information is available at audiophilemagazine.com. Explore tragedy through an American lens with these titles from L.A. Theatre Works' catalog of plays, musicals, and novels. A war pilot's disappearance sets a family on a terrifying journey towards truth in Arthur Miller's All My Sons. Why does your heart tell you he's alive? Because he has to be. But why, Kate? Because certain things have to be. An affluent couple is transformed by the mysterious death of their son in The Young Man from Atlanta, starring Shirley Knight. I've lost my spirit, Lily dear. I don't know where to turn or what to do. Well, please. In the Paris Letter, starring Ron Rifkin and Neil Patrick Harris, a powerful financier is undone by the secrets of his past. It must be hard to kill a part of yourself. Uh, which part, Anton? Huh? The sensualist? Please, no. These titles and hundreds more are available at our website. Go to latw.org. This is LA Theatre Works. Now, L.A. Theatre Works continues our production of Enron by Lucy Preble. There's a strange thing that goes on inside a bubble. It's hard to describe. People who are in it can't see outside of it, don't believe there is an outside. You get glazed over. I believed in Enron. Everybody did. I told people again and again to keep buying that stock, and I kept rating it and supporting it and championing it like it was my own child. And people say, how could you? If you didn't understand how it worked, well, you get on a plane, don't you? You don't understand exactly how it works, but you believe it'll fly. And if you got out of your seat and said, I'm not flying, I don't understand how it works, you look crazy. Well, it's like that, except imagine if the belief that the plane could fly was all that was keeping it in the air. It'd be fine if everybody believed, if nobody got scared, as long as nobody asked stupid questions about what it is keeps planes in the air. Okay. Where do you get your knowledge from? How much time do you have to... Uh... Oh There's another... Uh, oh, no. Uh, okay. An explosion. An explosion. Multiple explosions, ladies and gentlemen. We just saw another explosion. Uh, obviously... We're just watching it again. It's the first time. Uh, this is now... There's a second plane, I think. This is the other tower, ladies and gentlemen. Another explosion at tower number two at the World Trade Center just happened live on our air. Well, I'm delighted to be back in charge. In more normal circumstances, I would have a few words to say about September the 11th. Just like America's under attack by terrorism, I think we're under attack here at Enron. 
The terror attacks on New York and Washington have seen stock exchanges all over the world evacuated, and all trading has ceased. Market confidence has dissolved today as Tokyo, London, and then New York fell to record lows. I'm sorry Jeff did resign. Uh, despite the rumors, the company is doing well, both financially and operationally. When our very way of life is being threatened, we remain proud of who we are and what we do. This is not the time for doubt. Not the time to let our confidence be shaken. U.S. confidence has taken another knock as reports emerge of a formal investigation into energy trading giant Enron, deepening its share price crisis. The company has lost 60% of its value since peaking last fall. Truth is the great rock. Whether it will continue to be submerged by a wave, a wave of terror by those attacking us will be determined by Enron employees. We will testify to the truth. We will let the light shine in. We won't let this cloud of lies cover all our good works and deeds. Today saw the largest corporate bankruptcy in the history of the world as energy giant Enron fell. The company has collapsed after it was found to have disguised billions of dollars of debt, leading an outraged Senate to call for an immediate investigation. These hearings are an attempt to investigate America's largest corporate bankruptcy. What happened? Why did it happen? And who is responsible for it happening? The board is shocked and dismayed by events. We are not lawyers, and we had no idea Mr. Fastow was doing anything illegal. As a law firm, we had a responsibility to the law. If illegal practices went on... After we signed off on LJM... That is entirely another matter. Another matter entirely. We are not accountants. I am an accountant for my sins. <laughs> These procedures were unusual. They were not illegal. Arthur Anderson are happy to provide all Enron-related documents. Except for all the ones we shredded. Mr. Chairman, on the advice of my counsel, I respectfully decline to answer the questions put to me based on the protection afforded me under the United States Constitution. I have been instructed by my counsel not to testify based on my Fifth Amendment constitutional rights. I will testify. I will answer any question you got. I'll take a lie detector test right here, right now. This whole situation has been terrible for a lot of people, and I'm here to explain what happened and how I can help. With due respect, Mr. Skilling, I'm not going to ask you to help. Tell me, sir, is it a matter of coincidence that a few months after you left Enron, the company collapsed? When I left Enron Corporation on August 14th of the year 2001, I believed that the company was in, was in great shape. Hmm. Do you have personal worth of more than $100 million? Uh, I don't have the records with me. Would it be surprising to you to learn that you had that? No, that would, that would not be a surprise. And how do you feel about the employees whose families have lost their life savings? Well, I you guess... You donated uh, any of that money to the employees? <laughs> At this point, I have 36 separate lawsuits against me. It is my expectation I will be spending the next five to ten years of my life battling those lawsuits. And you don't believe you've done anything wrong? The markets were destroyed after September 11th. There were allegations of accounting problems, of accounting irregularities in business terms. That's tantamount to yelling fire in a crowded theater. It becomes a run on the bank. Thank you, Mr. Skilling.
few bad apples have shamed American corporate culture here today. And I find it scandalous that he could turn up here hoping to make it the Jeff Skilling show. Well, today is our day. Day for the U.S. Senate, the courts, and the people. And we will see that those millionaires with their private jets and their luxury lifestyles are forced to explain to those of us with normal lives on the ground what misdeeds have been done. The American government will not stand for corporate crime on this scale. I mean, on any scale. <laughs> that was a show. I take it we're pleading not guilty? I'm going to fight this thing till the day I die. Now what about your CFO? Oh, Andy's blood runs, and Ron, he's going to be as mad as me. Jeff, if Andy's got a lawyer half as good as me... Hell, if Andy's got a lawyer who can read, he's going to be telling him one thing. He's going to be telling him to blame it on you. Mr. Fastow, you've spent a great deal of time today describing your actions as a hero of Enron. Do you really view your behavior as heroic? I think I said I was a hero, and I believe I was a hero in the context of Enron's culture. You must be consumed by an insatiable greed. Is that fair to say? I believe I was extremely greedy and lost my moral compass. I've done terrible things that I very much regret. That sounded awfully rehearsed, Mr. Fastow. With respect, your questions sound pretty rehearsed, too. Are you smart, Mr. Skilling? Yes. Sure you are. So you knew and understood what Mr. Fastow was doing at your company. We knew and understood that it was wrong. I knew and understood that it was legal. Did you steal? We stole. We all benefited financially. I would never steal from Enron. Did you profit personally, illegally from LJM? Yes, I did. I did not know that. You did not want to know. How much? Difficult to say. Try. Around $45 million. $45 million. And how much did Mr. Skilling profit personally? None. None. Directly. None. So doesn't it make sense that you'd protect yourself today, say anything to get your boss convicted, maybe make arrangements with the federal government? Objection. He promoted you, supported you, and trusted you, did not profit at all, and yet was betrayed by you. Mr. Skilling, during the period of February 99 through June 2001, did you convert your stock worth $66 million? That sounds... All uh, the time uh, telling employees to invest... When you misrepresent the nature of your company... I believe Then in cash Enron. in your stock options. That is stealing. We all know you know about stealing, Mr. He Fastow. committed crimes at Enron. No, you committed crimes at Enron. You thought the company was fine. Everything was fine. With things in such great shape, why did you resign? I resigned because the market demanded it. You left a sinking ship. Women and children first, right after Jeff. The company was worth what it was worth because of me. Does that include the nothing it's worth now? When the history books are written about what happened at Enron, you know your name is going to be on that page. And you want to make sure Mr. Skilling's name is on that page also. You know what I'd like written on that page? That I had the courage to admit I did something wrong. Andrew Fastow, you were found guilty on two counts of criminal conspiracy. Kenneth Lay, you were found guilty on six counts of conspiracy and securities fraud. Jeffrey Skilling, you have been found guilty of 19 separate counts of securities fraud, wire fraud, and insider trading. You... You failed me, Andy. You didn't believe enough. Don't you see? This is my life. Claudia, Cla can you just give me a minute, officer? I can stand over there. Well, then could you do that, please? 
Sure. I didn't think they'd let you come. Dispensation for an hour. Did they tell you what happened? To Ken? Heart failure? Yeah, that's the official verdict anyway. I heard you're gonna appeal? I told my daughter I was innocent. I believe I am innocent. Neither of those things make you innocent. Is it true when it fell that the only part of the business with any worth at all was my division? You got out. Not by choice. Well, aren't you going to thank me? Mr. Skilling, my name is Irene Grant. I worked for Enron for 25 years. I did everything you asked. I, I took all my savings and I invested them in the company I worked for. I've lost $150,000. I have no money to retire on. I'm living at my sister's. And I wanted you to know because I swore if I ever saw you in person, well, I don't want to say. What do you expect me to say I to I want that? an answer from you. I don't have any answers. I have lost everything. This is not the place. Oh, am I embarrassing you? I'm sorry, am I embarrassing you? There trouble here? No, no. There you are. I, I should go wait in the car. Do you know who I am? Yes. You're a security officer. I was. You know what you are. You an ordinary crook. Doesn't matter how you dress it up, nothing special about it. Took a lot of people down is all. It's called equity for a reason. Everyone shares what's left. Everything's gone. The future of a certain kind is gone. I understand. You're angry. You're looking for somebody to blame. Won't even apologize. Come along, ma'am. No use in that. Come along. That policeman's not here to stop you running. He's here to stop you getting hurt. Can I walk in with you? I gotta take care of myself here. When Enron was declared bankrupt... They were over $30 billion in debt. Days before employees were told to leave, the latest round of bonus checks was handed out to Enron executives. More than $55 million. That week, 20,000 employees lost their jobs. The financial practices pioneered at Enron are now widespread throughout the business world. Over the last two years, the U.S. government has pumped over $10 trillion into the financial system to try and keep it from collapse. Counting that amount at a dollar a second would take more than 320,000 years. Kenneth Lay was found dead in his Aspen ski home prior to being sentenced for his crimes. Andy Fastow received a reduced sentence of six years in minimum security in exchange for testifying against his former boss. Jeffrey Skilling was sentenced to 24 years and four months in prison. His appeal is being heard by the Supreme Court. I'm not a bad man. I'm not an unusual man. I just wanted to change the world. And I think that there will come a time when everyone understands that. They will realize that they were banishing something of themselves along with me. I believe that. I know it's hard to understand. How can something be worth a million dollars in the morning and nothing by the afternoon? Same way a man goes from captain of all industry to a fraud sitting in jail. You want to look at something and know it has a worth, a fundamental value. That's making the same mistake as any religious person. You want to hold a mirror up to nature? Here's your mirror. 
the Dow Jones index over the last century. Every dip, every crash, every bubble that's burst, that's you. Your brilliant stupidity. This one gave us the railroads. This one, the internet. This one, the slave trade. And if you want to do anything about saving the environment or reaching other worlds, you'll need a bubble for that, too. Everything I've ever done in my life worth anything has been done in a bubble, in a state of extreme hope and trust and stupidity. Would you have had kids if you'd known the true pain of them arriving and then of them leaving? Hmm? Would you have gotten married if you could see her face 20 years on, turn to you through tears and say, you never knew me at all. The fall of 1929 and the beginning of the Great Depression, Washington Post, Prince Mark Twain. Don't part with your illusions. When they are gone, you may still exist, but you have ceased to live. All humanity is here in this index. There's greed, there's fear, joy, faith, hope, and the greatest of these is money. This is L.A. Theatre Works' production of Enron by Lucy Preble. If you've missed anything so far, or you'd like to listen to this show online, visit us at latw.org or check this station's website for more information. Funding for L.A. Theatre Works is provided by listeners like you. For more information on supporting L.A. Theatre Works programs, including live productions, tours, radio broadcasts, library access, and educational outreach, visit our website at latw.org. Enron starred Gregory Itzen, Stephen Weber, Amy Peetz, and Greg German, with Chris Butler, Casey Mahaffey, John Matthews, Julia McElvain, Russell Soder, Kenneth Allen Williams, and Matthew Wolf. Stage manager Amanda Allen. Associate producers Christina Montano and Jennifer Brooks. Live sound effects Teresa Arison. Original music composed by Adam Cork. Recording, editing, and mixing engineer Mark Holden for the Invisible Studios, West Hollywood. Our director is Rosalind Ayers. The senior producer of our radio series is Jeff Rogers. Producers Mike Weisskopf and Ron Lipkin. Matt Coe composed our theme music. For current updates on L.A. Theatre Works radio broadcasts, tour information, or casting updates for our live series, find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter as L.A. Theatre Works. You can also email your comments or suggestions to radio at latw.org. I'm Susan Lowenberg, Producing Director of L.A. Theatre Works. 
Support for this program is provided by Theatermania.com, the heart of theater online. Theatermania.com features regular and discount tickets, comprehensive listings, news, and online ticketing systems for Broadway, Off-Broadway, and theater nationwide. More information is available at Theatermania.com. Major support for the production of plays in our current live performance season is provided by the Peter Glenville Foundation. Additional support is provided by the Capital Group Company's Charitable Foundation and the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors through the Los Angeles County Arts Commission. This is L.A. Theater Works. This is Eddie Winters, and you're listening to Mutiny Radio, the same great station with a great new name. Wow, cool. <laughs> Much cool. The new name? What? I thought the radio was talking to me. That's weird. What was weird? This. I'm talking to a podcast. That's impossible. Not really. This is Mutiny Radio. If you're listening, we're listening to... Cool. Mutiny Radio, the evolution has begun. The story you're about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes. Best of all long cigarettes brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a homicide detail. A woman has been murdered, her identity unknown. The body shows the marks of a savage attack. Your job, find the killer. If you want a long cigarette, smoke the best of all long cigarettes. Smoke extra mild Fatima. Yes, Fatima is the king-size cigarette which contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended to make it extra mild. To give Fatima a much different, much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. That's why Fatima has more than doubled its smokers coast to coast. Enjoy extra mild Fatima yourself. Best of all, long cigarettes. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department... You will travel step-by-step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Sunday, December 25th. It was raining in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of homicide detail. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Blaine Steed, captain of homicide. My name's Friday. It was 39 minutes past 5 a.m. when I got to San Andreas Cathedral on 1st Street. Churchyard. Hi, Dave. Hi, Joe. Body's over here. All right. Merry Christmas, huh? Yeah. Sexton from the church found it about an hour ago. 
Have a look. Pretty brutal. Yeah. Okay. Who is she? No identification. The coroner checked the body in? Yeah. How long has she been dead? When it started raining. About midnight, didn't it? Yeah. And the ground's dry under the body. Oh, been dead five or six hours, I'd say. Ben get here yet? Yeah, he's helping Claudio check the area. This park here, is this all a part of the church grounds? I think so. I was stuck out of this rain for a minute. There's an alcove over there by the church. Yeah, come on. How much we got to go on, Dave? Not much. Motive looks like robbery. Yeah. Found a woman's purse near the body. Pretty well picked over. Purse is wet. Lee Jones is dusting the contents for Fritz. Coroner's checking. Any idea what the killer used in the woman's face? The coroner figures a sharp instrument of some kind. A nasty one. Yeah. Friday, you look wet. Hi, Ali. Hi. So do you. Everything happened on Christmas. Purse was soaking wet. Ordinary black handbag. Huh? Raise any prints on the stuff inside? Not a one. Yeah, you can check the content. Thank you, Lincoln. Let's see. Small comb. Most of the teeth out of it. Three pennies. Hairpins. Mirror. Lipstick. That's it, Holly. A couple more things. Yeah. This fountain pen this door key. Armstrong found them in the grass a few feet from the body. Can I have a look at those? Yeah, it's an ordinary ballpoint fountain pen. Buy them in any drugstore for 69 cents. No sign of rust on the key. Must have been dropped recently. Maybe this will explain what happened to her face. Broken beer bottle. Where'd you find that? Laughlin found it back in the bushes over there. These jagged edges here smeared with blood. Mm -hmm. Too much rain. Can't do anything about prints till it dries. Can you get enough from these smears to run a precipitant? Think so. Lee, you got a minute? Yeah, Ben, what is it? Oh, hi, Joe. Hi. Claudio found a set of footprints over by that clump of shrubbery. Rain hasn't spoiled them yet. Did you cover them? Yeah, I think you can get a pretty good cast from them. Better uh, get a picture of them right away. Hey, Charlie. Right with you, Lee. I'll get the stuff from the car. You mind giving me a hand, Dave? Oh, let's go. Well, this takes care of Christmas, Joe. Yeah. Did you get a chance to check the body in? Mm-hmm. What do you think? Well, there's no sign of struggle. Could have happened after a Christmas Eve brawl, maybe. Yeah. Whoever the victim is, she was probably acquainted with the killer. The two of them came in the park, and the victim got it before she knew what was happening. Might work easier if we find out who the victim is. We can check her prints through R and I when we get back to the office. What those footprints look like? Seems like a heavy print, maybe work shoes of some kind. Want to see how Lee's making out? Yeah, let's go. Gonna miss Christmas dinner again this year. Footprint, fountain pen, and key. Where do we start? It's a cheap pen. They sell thousands of them. Want to smoke? All right, thanks. Footprints will help convict the killer. Got to find him first. Hmm. Thank you. I don't know. Maybe we can work a switch. How's that? Find the lock that fits the key. 9 a.m., Christmas Day. Sergeants Dave Arroyo, Robert Claudio, Ben and I went back to the office and took stock of what we had to work with. It wasn't much. A woman had been murdered. Who was she? Why was she killed? Who was the killer? Dave and Claudio had the dead woman's fingerprints taken and they were run through the record bureau. Ben and I checked with Lee Jones at the crime lab. The results of the precipitant test showed that the type of blood found on the broken beer bottle matched that of the victim. 
From the cast of the foot impressions found at the scene of the killing, Lee estimated that they were made by a person approximately 5 feet 9 inches tall, weighing about 160 pounds. He figured the footgear must have been of a heavy type, either a boot or a dress shoe with thick double soles, size 11. 9.40 a.m. We checked in at the basement of the Hall of Justice, the county morgue. Doc, how's it going? All there, Joe. Death caused by multiple fracture. The skull flashing in the face was a contributing cause. I sent her close to Lee Jones. Yeah, we know. No none remark. Well, I got two things. Maybe they'll help, maybe they won't. Yeah. Um, the chemist's report here on the blood analysis shows the victim was drinking. She was definitely under the influence at the time she was murdered. Twelve hundredths percent alcohol in the blood. Mm-hmm. How about the murder weapon, Doc? We gonna rule out that beer bottle? I'm just coming to that. Step over here. Yeah. This mark here on the side of her face, brown smudge. Well, Jones says that that shoe polish, he analyzed a few of the particles. Ties in. The cause of death was brought about by severe blows in the head and face. Heavy shoe, huh? That's my guess. Probably a boot or a work shoe. That doesn't add, Joe. How do you mean? If they were heavy work shoes the killer was wearing, why were they polished? How many people polish their work shoes? To be waterproofing. No, Jones says it was a brown paste polish. And it doesn't figure. Unless the killer was wearing some kind of dress boots. Cycle boots, maybe. Hundreds of kids on motorcycles were. Yeah. That's going to be about as helpful as a key or a cheap fountain pen. Huh? Excuse me. County Morgue, Tyson speaking. Yeah, all right, Frank. I'll tell him. Cunningham at R&I wants to see you right away. What's up? They made the victim's prints. During the war years, a complete file of pictures and fingerprints had been kept on all persons employed at local defense plants. Out of this file came our first major lead. The victim's fingerprints matched those of one Maria Camacho, 38 years old, formerly employed at Universal Aircraft. Her address in 1945 was listed as 9230 Sheridan Avenue. Ben and I went over to the crime lab, picked up the key and the fountain pen found near the body, and drove to the Sheridan Avenue address. The house was three blocks from the churchyard where the body was found. A young woman with a baby in her arms answered the door. She identified herself as Elena Gomez. She told us Maria Camacho was her aunt. They were expecting her for Christmas dinner late that afternoon. We told her what happened. When she recovered from the shock, we questioned her and her husband, the furniture worker. So hard for me, boy. Why anyone would do this to her? When's the last time you saw her, Mr. Gomez? She's around last night, Sergeant. She brought the presents for the kids. Always brought them presents on Christmas. Did she live here? Was this her permanent address? No. She stayed with us during the war when Ray was overseas. When he came back, she took a room down the street. I can give you the address. All right. What time did Maria leave the house last night? Well, let's see. Must have been around 10 o'clock. Not much later. Don't you think, Elena? About 10 o'clock? Yeah, let's go see what those kids are doing, huh, Ray? Yeah, yeah, all right, did Maria have anything to drink here last night, Ms. Gomez? Yes, we had a glass of sherry together, that's all. Could you tell if she'd been drinking before she came here? Oh, it was Christmas Eve. I guess she'd had a few. Why? Was she a pretty heavy drinker? Not usually, no. Maybe on the holidays, though. We like to get out and have fun living alone and all that. Poor Maria. Well, did she drink at home, or was there some particular place she'd like to go? A cantina down on Soda Street. She used to go there. Any others? A couple of bars on Brooklyn Avenue. I don't know the names. What did Maria do for a living, Miss Gomez? She 
pretense in dressmaking. With herself. She wasn't poor, wasn't rich. Her landlady could tell you about her friends. Kids are hungry, Lana. Dinner's getting cold. Sorry that we had to break in on you like this. Well, it's all right, Sergeant. It's just the kids. Ask the officers if they want some mint pie, Ray. Come on. No, no, no. That's all right, Miss Gomez. Thanks. Just one more thing. Would you look at these, please? This pen. Sure, that's Maria's. Look, Ray, Maria's pen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, how about this key? No, I never saw that before. Mm -mm, neither did I. Well, thanks very much, both of you. Sorry to hold up your dinner. Oh, that's all right. We're not hungry. Hey, maybe I could fix you a turkey sandwich. Or no, thank you, Jeff. No. Same we have to be going. We'll contact you later on. Here's our card. All right. I can't think of a reason, Sergeant. Why someone would kill her? Why would they kill Maria? Poor Maria. Come on, baby. Come on. Nice kid. Gonna be having a good Christmas. Too bad we had to spoil it. We drove down the street to the rooming house where Maria Camacho stayed. We talked to the landlady and the rest of the tenants, who failed to come up with a lead. They told us Maria Camacho drank a little, but she was always pleasant, easy to get along with. We checked her room. We went through stacks of Spanish-language newspapers and magazines. We went through her bills, photographs, her letters. We found nothing. There wasn't an item in the small apartment that could help us. We went through the entire rooming house, trying each door with a key that we'd found for the body. It didn't fit any of them. Not even the door to the victim's room. 5 p.m., there was a lull in the rain. We picked up Dave and Claudio and started to explore the only lead we had. The victim had been drinking a few hours before she'd been murdered, probably at a neighborhood tavern. For the next six hours, we canvassed every bar in the vicinity. 11.15 p.m., Christmas night. The four of us met in a combination bar restaurant at Brooklyn and Soto for a bite to eat. You had as much luck as we did, huh? Nothing, Dave. Everybody we talked to knew the woman. Nobody saw her Christmas Eve. We picked up the names of a dozen friends of hers from the bartenders. Checked them out. They couldn't tell us anything. Well, we still got another dozen bars to cover at least. She must have been in one of them last night. Wish we'd find it. My wife's sure, man. You got company. So's mine. All right, gentlemen. Who had the grilled ham sandwich? I did. All right. And the three hamburgers? Yep. There we go. My plate. You got some ketchup, please? Sure. Uh, say, you wouldn't like a little eggnog to go with that. It's good. I make the batter myself. No, no, no. no, 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 no thank you very much. There is something you can do for us. Yes, sir. Would you look at this picture? All right. See if you can identify this woman. She looks like Maria. Yeah, that's her. You know her? Was she in here last night, do you know? Yeah, she was. What time was she in? Oh, about 11, 11.30. Why? Was she with somebody? Oh, half a dozen of them, at least. Maria, another woman, and four or five men. Were they drinking? Well, they were well-behaved. Just had a little Christmas cheer, that's all. They liked my eggnog. And what time did Maria leave, do you remember? Well, no, not exactly, but she left before the others. They closed the place. You fellas cops? Did she leave alone? No, Tony followed her out. I think it must have been sometime around midnight. I'm not sure. Who's Tony? Tony Perez. He's busboy here. He knows Maria. Where's he now? Christmas. He's off. Lives in a hotel down the street someplace. I don't know. Time fits. Maybe the key does. Dave and Claudio started to check the neighborhood to locate the hotel where Tony Perez stayed. Ben and I continued our canvas of bars and restaurants in the area. 1 a.m., the rain started in again. We checked in at a bar on Brooklyn Avenue near Cornwall, the Cantina Sinaloa. Yes, sir, gentlemen? Police officers. Would you look at this picture, please, see if you can identify it? Wait till I dry my hands. 
Let's just getting some of these glasses out of the way. Let's see. You ever see her before? Oh, yeah, that's Maria. Too bad. I read in the papers about it. Can you tell us if she was in here last night? No, I didn't see her. I read in the papers about it, though. Terrible. Poor Maria. Is it possible she might have been in? You didn't see her? No, I always know when Maria's here. She was always full of fun. She liked to sing. I better get these glasses finished. Ben, you want to call the office? Yeah, okay. How about a drink, Sergeant? You don't look so good. You got any coffee? It's not very fresh. It's been standing there a couple of hours. Well, that's all right. Okay. Here. Here's the sugar. Hey, thank you. Yeah, that's not very warm, huh? Oh, that's okay. What do you think, officer? The guy was crazy. I don't know. Ah, he must have been crazy. Lots of nice rain. That's good for the farmers. Yeah. Sure. You ever see this key before? Let's see. No, I don't know. Uh, Joe. Yeah. Dave and Claudio found a hotel that picked up Tony Perez. Took him in. What'd he tell him? Dave says they're talking to him now. He won't say much. Did they find anything on him? He's wearing a pair of dark brown boots. Yeah. Well polished. You are listening to Dragnet. The case history of a police investigation presented in the public interest by Fatima Cigarettes. If you smoke a long cigarette, it will be in your interest to listen to a typical case history of a Fatima smoker. It's the case of skater Larry Jackson, one of the stars of the Los Angeles Ice Capades. This is his actual signed statement. When the excitement of the show is over, a mild cigarette is important for smoking enjoyment. I found Fatima the most enjoyable king-size cigarette because it's extra mild. I agree, it's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. And so do more and more smokers every day. Actual figures show extra mild Fatima has more than doubled its smokers coast to coast. So enjoy extra mild Fatima yourself. The king-size cigarette, which contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos, superbly blended to make it extra mild. You will prefer Fatima's much different much better flavor. You will agree. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. The best of all long cigarettes. Monday, December 26th, 9 a.m. We checked Tony Perez through R&I. He had a record of seven arrests but no convictions. During the past year, he'd been booked on suspicion of 211 PC, assault with intent to do great bodily harm, and second-degree burglary. In each instance, he'd been released for a lack of evidence. All of his shoes and clothing were brought to the crime lab for examination. 9.25 a.m., we brought Perez back to the interrogation room. He admitted that he had been with Maria Camacho Christmas Eve, but he denied having anything to do with her killing. He told us that after he had left Maria, he'd gone to a party at some friend's house. Dave and Claudio went out to check his story. I gave them the key found near the body and asked them to try it on the door to Perez Hotel Room. Ben and I continued to question the suspect. How well did you know Maria Camacho, Tony? I told you already. She was just some old crow who used to hang around the bars, that's all. I used to talk to her once in a while. 
You ever have any arguments with her? No. How many times are you going to ask me that? It would help a lot if you could tell us exactly where you left Maria Christmas Eve and when you left her. I told you already. I don't remember exactly. We are drinking. We were all drinking. I don't remember. How'd you get to that boy? I walked. Place down on Malabar Street. Maria stopped at a bar someplace along the way, and that's the last time I saw her. Did you go in with her? No, she went in alone. I went to the party. That's all I know. Interrogation room, Friday. Lee Jones, Joe. Yeah? Check the polish on Perez's boots. It matches with the smear of polish on the victim's face. Wax components are exactly the same. Good. How about the cast? Nope, they didn't match. The prints we cast out there were size 11, big heel. Perez wears a 9, pretty small heel. No match at all. What about the other stuff? Went over the rest of his shoes and his clothes. Nothing that ties in. Okay, Lee. Thank you. Do you shine your own boots, Tony? No. Why? Where do you get them, Shane? I go to Angelo's, Chicago Street, right near first. When's the last time you got a shine? Oh, Christmas Eve. What time Christmas Eve, Tony? When I got off work, about two and a half noon. Hi. Hi, Dave. See one of you outside a minute? Yeah. Perez telling the truth about the party. He was there. We timed out how long it'd take him to walk from the restaurant to the party. Yeah. Pretty close. His friends say he got to the party about 12.30. Doesn't look like he had time to kill that woman. Well, where does that leave us? Still got those boots? No, no more. They don't match the impressions at the murder scene. Well, that makes us even, huh? Here's your key back. Didn't fit. Tony Perez was held for further investigation. Dave and Claudio took up the canvassing of bars in the same area where we'd left off the night before. Ben and I drove down to Angelo's shine stand. It stood just outside a barber shop, four chairs with an awning full of cigarette holes over them. He identified Maria Camacho's picture immediately. We questioned him while he polished her shoes. Maria, I used to tell a sergeant, running around like that, she had so many friends, too many... Did you see Maria on Christmas Eve, Angelo? Christmas Eve? Let me see. No, no, last time was two days before Christmas. Angelo, do you know a man by the name of Tony Perez? Tony? Sure. Tony Perez. Tall fella, big shoulders. Is he one of your customers? Yeah, all the time he comes to see me. Was he here on Christmas Eve, Angelo? Yeah, yeah, he was here. I gave him a shine. Good customer. You remember what kind of shoes he had on? Sure. Boots. He always wears boots. What color were they, do you know? Brown. Always wears brown boots. Well, what's the matter? Tony in trouble? What kind of polish do you use on his boots, Angelo? Well, I got the cam down here. Yeah, this one here. High grade polish. If you got boots, I can fix them up. Do you use the same polish on all the boots you shine, Angelo? No, only the brown boots. That's brown polish. You fellas ask too many questions. Make me go too slow. Well, there's no rush, Angelo. Can you tell me this? Yeah? Besides Tony Perez, was there anybody else with brown boots who got a shine from you Christmas Eve? Well, I don't know. Lots of people get shined. Christmas Eve is pretty busy. Just the people with brown boots, Angelo. Can you remember? No. No, no, I don't think so. Tony was the only one with the brown boots. There's no others. And how about heavy brown shoes? Huh? 
You remember the people with heavy brown shoes that came in for a shine? No, no, I, I don't know. I don't know. Look, please, just to let me shine your shoes, huh? Uh, that can of brown polish, Angelo, you say that's the kind you use on Tony Perez's booth? Yeah, that's the kind. This kind right here. Well, can you remember how many times you used that polish on Christmas Eve? Well, I opened this can that morning. You see how much is gone. Maybe I used it, oh, well, maybe half a dozen times. Can you remember the people whose shoes call for this kind of polish? Yeah, lots of them. Brown shoes. I know the feet when I see them. I don't know the faces. Don't you remember any of them? If they like the shine, maybe by and by they come back. There were three, four fellas, maybe. I see them before. I, I, I don't know their names. Ah, okay, finished. You like the shine? Oh, yeah, fine. Uh, see, I'm going to buy that can of polish from you, Angelo, and we're going to check back with you later. Uh, okay. Here it is. That's fine polish, Sergeant. Best you can get. Yeah, but it rubs off. December 26th, 5 p.m. We drove back to the crime lab and had Lee Jones analyze the can of shoe polish. It matched exactly with the particles of shoe polish taken from the victim's body and from the boots of Tony Perez. We arranged for a stakeout at Angelo's shine stand. In case the people with heavy brown shoes returned, Angelo could point them out immediately to the men on duty. 5.30 p.m., Dave and Claudio called in. They thought they had another nibble, this time from the bartender at the El Cidello Tavern, a bar on Soto Street. We drove down to South Main and Harlem Place for a meet. Hi, Dave. Hi. Figured we'd better move on this tonight. What's the pitch? Bartender on Soto tipped me that Maria Camacho was in his place Christmas Eve. Said it was a little after midnight. Yeah. Said she had a drink, left the place about ten minutes past twelve with a guy called Frank Talano. Nosed around, found his Talano works at the midnight mission. Over there. All right, let's go. This it, Dave? Yeah. Good friends, Mission. Come in for a nice, warm, spiritual bath. Coffee and soup free. Hey, watch the stairs. Yeah. Brothers, if we be not born again of that light, as the book says, we'll be damned, brothers. Damn. Amen. Amen. Now, brothers, while Sister Myrtle Ferguson plays one of his stirring marches, let's join arms, brother to brother, and march into the lunchroom where, through the kind graces of one of our benefactors, Pete Boudouris of the Acropolis Cafe, each one of you will be entitled to a bowl of turkey soup, some of Sister Wilson's homemade bread, and a cut of mince pie. Uh, Sister Ferguson, march. Guess that's the man to see. Yeah, let's go. Sure pack him in, don't they? That soup smells real good. Uh, excuse me, sir? Uh, young brother? What is it? Police officers. Do you have a Frank Delano working here? Well, what's the trouble? Does he work here? Well, yes, he's a very good man, Frank. Anything wrong? Is he here now? No, he isn't. Where can we find him? Well, I'd like to know what the trouble is. We'd like to talk to him, mister, that's all. Well, he has a room at uh, Good Friends Mission Annex. That's over on San Pedro Street. Is that his permanent residence, the Mission Annex? Yes, Frank's very helpful. He works for a small salary, and we give him room and board. Is he over at the Annex now? Yep, but uh, maybe you'd better not see him now, officer. Why not? Well, Frank's not at his best. He's been drinking again. That's the surest sign. How do you mean? Well, whenever Frank starts drinking, that means that he's worrying. He's one of those, he... Drinks to forget. Yeah. 
They've been drinking for three days. You must have a lot to forget. Come on. 6.30 p.m. We drove over to the Good Friends Mission Annex on San Pedro Street. The man in charge told us that Tolano had a small room to himself at the rear of the second floor. Dave and Claudio went around to cover the Mission Annex from the back. Ben and I went up a narrow flight of wooden stairs. Plain white plaster walls were chipped and cracked and scrawled with pencil markings. We walked down to the end of a wide hallway to a brown paneled door with a transom above it. There was a man in soiled work clothes sitting on the bed. On the table next to him, there were three quart wine bottles. Two of them were empty. Get out of here. You Frank Delano? What about it? Police officers like to talk to you. Get out of here. You're not taking me. I'll cut you to pieces. Drop the bottle, Tolano. Get out of here. Drop the bottle. I'll cut you to pieces. Like you cut Maria. I'll kill you. Put it down, Tolano. Drop it. Get the cuffs on him. Yeah. Let's go. Just a minute. Seventh trial was held in Superior Court, Department 94, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. It's amazing how many long cigarette smokers are changing to extra mild Fatima. Here is the actual report. From coast to coast, extra mild Fatima has more than doubled its smokers. Yes, more and more smokers every day are discovering that Fatima is the king-size cigarette that is extra mild. Extra mild because it contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended to make it extra mild, to give it a much different, much better flavor and aroma. Enjoy extra mild Fatima yourself. Best of all, long cigarettes. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. Frank Dominic Tolano was tried and convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life imprisonment. He is now serving his term in the state penitentiary. have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of Chief of Police W.A. Wharton, Los Angeles Police Department. Fatima Cigarettes, the best of all long cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet, transcribed from Los Angeles. Patty Page visits Jack Birch tomorrow morning on NBC. Oakland Art Murmur is a coalition of art and cultural venues dedicated to increasing popular awareness of and participation in the arts in Oakland, with an emphasis on visual art. They promote visual art in Oakland through collective marketing and outreach efforts and our monthly First Friday events, which are open to the public and attended by hundreds of local and visiting art enthusiasts. The First Friday Art Walk has grown to include street performances, one-night-only art installations, activists raising money and awareness for local social service organizations, and political initiatives. For more information about the Oakland Art Murmur, 
Go online at www.oaklandartarmor.com. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. When it started, it was simple, just a lawsuit for damages. But before it was over, it was far from simple, and the damages were murder. All because of a red-headed woman, a ghostwriter with ambition, and a match that burned with a bright green flame. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character as CBS presents... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Green Flame. It had been the kind of early start, late finish, crowded in between day that had made breakfast coffee, lunch a ham sandwich on the run, and dinner nothing. So by the time it finally ended, it was pushing nine o'clock. I was both a little tired and a lot hungry. All of which made the feast I could imagine spread out in front of me over an emerald green tablecloth something better than good enough to eat. Blue Point oysters on a half shell, a Caesar salad. Veal scallopini topped with mushrooms the size of silver dollars. Oh, I was ready for it. Yes. Yes, well, the oysters once again became a blue ashtray. The scallopia notebook. A green cloth underneath all... My desk blotter. Hello, Marlowe speaking. Dodie Whitmore, Marlowe. Ever hear of me? I have. I've also heard you own half a dozen screen magazines, a local radio station, and a daily published for the motion picture industry called The Hollywood Trades. Is that covering? Not quite. Today I acquired something else. A libel suit for 100000 that was just slapped against the trades by a has-been actor named Bradford Colby, which, Marlowe, is the reason I'm calling you. Oh? So drop whatever you're doing, boy, and get over here to the Whitmer Building. Whitmer Building? We're on El Centro near Gower and closed tomorrow Sunday, no addition. Biggest. When the night watchman lets you in, turn left, keep walking till you get to an office numbered 116. You got that? Yeah, 116. But if you don't mind, Miss Whitmer, I'd like to do something. I'd like to eat first. Make it coffee and a ham sandwich at the outside and get over here fast. Coffee? Look, Miss Whitmer, I'm starving. Marlo, you... how much do you get a day? Twenty-five in expenses. Why? I'm willing to pay a hundred and twenty-five, and you keep track of the expenses. Now what do you say, boy? Boy says coffee and a ham sandwich will leave him stuffed. Goodbye, Miss Whitmar. Come in, Marlowe. Sit down over here, and if you smoke cigars, don't. I can't stand them. Drink? No, thanks. Marlowe, our A1 gossip columnist, Stanley McGrath, had this to say in today's edition of The Trade. Mm-hmm. The sometimes actor, Bradford Colby, won't call it quits. When refused a part by an independent producer who's short on funds, Colby offered to hawk all and come up with 20000 if the producer would change his mind. The producer wouldn't. End of quote. And beginning of noise from Colby, huh? Yes, a clamor that we can only silence by proving that McGrath, what he said, is true. Which shouldn't be impossible, because Max was a thorough man and... Never heard of the word rumor. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean, was a thorough man? He died of a stroke, Marlowe, at five this morning, en route to the hospital, age 61. Mm. His column, as usual, arrived here yesterday afternoon in the mail. He always wrote from his home, which is a junk-filled cracker box, upon North Brunton. Now you're being sued by Colby for damages, huh? 
The late Mr. McGrath isn't around to prove what he said is true. You catch. And being very unpopular with producers myself these past 30 years, Marlowe, <laughs> I have no chance of any help from the one who actually turned Colby down for that part, whoever he is. All of which makes my job what? Precisely this. Find Mac's source of information. Come in, Larry. Larry North, Marlowe. My editor and anybody's Napoleon. Larry, meet Mr. Marlowe. Uh, how do you do? How do you do? Dodie, I've just found out that old Mac's only legman, a queer duck named Leonard Phipps, left town sometime yesterday for San Diego. May or may not be back by now. Where's Marlowe going to start? Well, I figured... At old Mac's place. Larry and I have already checked there, Marlowe. 8312 North Bronson. Maybe you'll grab onto something that we overlooked. Here's the key. Thanks. Mac lived alone. Don't get wrapped up in his notes. They're gibberish. And remember, my lawyers are sure that we lose this case if we can't prove what Mac said was the truth. Well, yeah, but All I... as soon as you get a lead, and if I'm out, Larry will be in his office next door. And, Marlowe, don't waste any time. There's a lot at stake, boy. What Dodie Whitmer had labeled a cracker box turned out to be a five-room, slightly beat-down, almost square house set back some 50 carelessly landscaped feet from a high stucco wall that said the late Mr. McGrath had lived alone and liked it. And when I entered and went to his study where I turned on a desk lamp, I saw what my client had meant by junk. There were the odds and ends that a man collects in a lifetime. On his desk, a tarnished loving cup for excellence in reporting, dated 1927. Beyond that, on the mantel, an autographed picture of Teddy Roosevelt, and next to it, a paperweight from Niagara Falls. And then... And then an item I hadn't expected... In a shadowed corner of the room, there was somebody else. A tall, gaunt somebody else wearing horn-rimmed glasses and papers sticking out of every pocket. He was slowly, an inch at a time, backing off from the edge of the circle of light in which I stood. I took one casual step toward the desk and then... Nailed him! Get your hands off me! Why? Take a start running, Mr. Leonard Phipps! How do you know my name? I'm psychic. I also know you just got back from San Diego. What I don't know is what you're doing here. Now, come on! Talk fast! Please let go! Leave me alone! I'll talk! Got nothing to hide from the right party. Who are you? Philip Marlowe, private detective, who's working for Dodie Whitmer, a lady impatient to know which producer McGrath was talking about. In that article on Colby this morning, now do I qualify? Uh, yes, 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 of course. We're both after the same piece of information, Mr. Marlowe. Oh? I want to find that answer, too, and then whisper it into Dodie's ear. Just to save her a hundred thousand bucks? No. Just to get a chance to fill McGrath's shoes. And don't laugh, because I've been ghosting that column for the past month now. Didn't McGrath write this morning's column himself? No, he didn't. I did. But the piece on Colby was not mine. McGrath must have added that himself, the fool. Well, you don't sound like you're happy in your work, Phipps. I wasn't. Mac was a tyrant. I put up with him because he promised sooner or later to let Dodie Hutmar know that I was doing his work. Don't be too bitter, Phipps. Mac couldn't have known exactly when he was going to die. Well, what if he but could But to get die? back to the subject. Have you any idea where we can get a hold of something real to go on? Yes. Yes, I do. Uh, out there in the living room. Oh. Follow me, Marlowe. If you can, in the dark. Come back here. Ow! By the time I got to my feet, Phipps was gone. I found another lamp in the dark, turned it on, and started for the telephone. But then I stopped. In the center of the floor, where it must have fallen when the leg man made his wild break, was a wrinkled piece of paper. When I picked it up and turned it over, I was suddenly glad that Mr. Phipps had gotten away because, in his hurry to leave, he had dropped his checkoff list for Operation Bradford Colby. There were a half a dozen producers crossed off above the notation Max Place, but below that, and not yet discounted, was a name I'd never heard before, Sherry Sheldon. At that, I called Dodie Whitmer, gave her a quick rundown on what had happened with Phipps, and then tossed the name Sherry Sheldon in. She talked it over with Larry North before she answered. 
But when she did, I knew that finally we were all getting someplace. Marlo, this is good. Larry tells me that Sherry Sheldon is the ex-Mrs. Bradford Colby. Oh? And better than that, a redhead with temperament to match. That kind will talk. Mm-hmm. Any idea where this item lives? Yes, a bungalow on Sheremoya. 5,800. 5,800, huh? Larry says it's a quiet, dead-end street, but not to let that throw you. Because from what he's heard about the lady herself, she's very much alive. So play it smart, boy. You're probably in the big time now. Good luck. It's only a furlong plus the bungalow on Sheremoya, so when I pulled up and parked away from number 5,800, I was still wondering exactly what play it smart, boy, meant. And the lady in question was known far and wide as a shock of red hair capping so much dynamite. But a minute later, as I walked toward the house, I labeled that thought introspection, dismissed it, and concentrated instead on an acre of tweed jacket that was unfolding out of a long, honey-colored sedan parked a little ahead of me. When it straightened up to something over six and a half feet, slammed the car door shut and stomped inch-thick sold brogans off in a king-sized huff, I knew that this was an angry man. And in the next second... I knew that it and the thespian Bradford Colby were one and the same. When Colby got to Sherry's doorbell and jabbed at it impatiently for attention, I ducked below a hedge nearby. When the door opened and then slammed shut again, I left the hedge in favor of an on-the-bias palm tree that bowed toward Milady's chamber where I could both see and hear what had to be an exciting reunion. You said that you knew something that couldn't fail to intrigue me on this of all days. So now that I'm here, start intriguing Sherry, darling. All right. How's this for a starter? I want, to the penny, exactly one half of the money you're going to get from Dodie Whitmark. Oh, Sherry, how droll. <laughs> now, why in the name of the great American dollar do you think I'd give you so much as a sly glance at that delightful little fund? For two reasons. The first, I deserve it for putting up with both you and your abominable conceit for exactly one year. <laughs> Still droll, darling. <laughs> Go on, keep laughing, Mr. Colby. Keep laughing while I light my cigarette with one of these matches, these cute ones that burn with what? a green flame. Where did you get those? <laughs> In a little no- known lodge out beyond Malibu called the Green Flame. Don't you remember, darling, I-, I ran into you there one day last week when you were having lunch with a mysterious stranger whom you tried to keep me from seeing. You nasty little sneak, Sherry. When you were so engrossed in keeping yourself between me and your guest that, that you left the souvenir book of matches at the bar after you graciously lit my cigarette for me. And what of it? They give those matches out by the thousands. That they do, but Brad, dear, they all don't have numbers penciled on the inside. Numbers? Uh, What numbers are you talking about? Now who's being drawn? What are you getting at, Sherry? This. I had a call a minute before I got in touch with you from a delightful gentleman who's very interested in what I'm getting at. So here, take your... Don't test me, bro. No, wait, Sherry, now please... I am going to have exactly one half of that easy money that's coming your way. And after the gentleman I mentioned and I get together, I may want more. So don't say anything you'll be sorry for later on. Just get out now. It was the better part of a minute before Colby the actor quit running the gamut of theatrical expressions indexed under hate and Colby the man stopped biting down hard on his lower lip. Then, without another word, he slammed out of his apartment, ran to his car, and started off. I waited long enough for the steam in the room to condense, and then I walked to the front door and rang the bell delicately, the way I imagined a delightful gentleman like Mr. Leonard Phipps might. Yes? Can I help you? I think so, Miss Sheldon. It's only a matter of a simple question. Did you give that Brad Colby story to McGrath yesterday? Wait a minute. 
Who are you? Why, Leonard Phipps, of course. I talked to you on the phone, remember? Oh. Oh, yes. It was only half an hour ago, Mr. Phipps, and, and yet in those 30 minutes, it's surprising how your voice has gone from tenor right down to bass. Good sit night. down with us? Yeah. You going to sit down with us? Yeah, uh, of course, yeah, I'm asking you to. Hello, Mutiny Radio. It's your favorite light, rate, uh, late night radio host, Arden, here with my friend Dan Shadley. Rockin' the Giants. You look more clean cut than usual, Dan. Yeah, I told, I told you I'm a corporate sellout now, so... You're a little less disheveled. I get to, like... You look, you look less like you're about to die. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. If, if that is the bar that's been set for corporate sellout, then damn... It doesn't take much in San Francisco. I mean, corporate sellouts are always on the verge of jumping off a fucking building, so... <laughs> so you decided to, you know, dress casual for that day? Yeah, right, right, right. Cash. You're like, you know, who am I impressing today? No. Uh, no, right. Hmm? No, your suicide. Your, bo- your boss. Oh. <laughs> On your suicide day, you go, you know, I, don't, I can dress kind of business cash. You know, I, I always assumed, uh, I, I got nothing. Yeah, as usual, Arden coming in hot with the jokes. We're ten minutes early. We're sh- starting the show. I, w- I was thinking it's probably going to be a couple minutes till anybody gets here. So, oh, does, most definitely. Right, start right, with cool. this shit. So probably, uh, it'll probably even without an audience, it'll probably sound the exact same as it always does when I do my set. There'll be few, fewer yawns. <laughs> yeah, you might not hear the yawns, but the the echoing of my voice throughout the building will be about the same. I, no, you can hear the stunned silence. Like, you can hear the stunned silence? i got to yeah. start listening to how the, it captures that via it audio. Really Man, that is impressive, the new digital technology these days. Actually, it's antiquated digital technology. Is this antiquated? Dude, you think I am got not money fucking for look, look, look at, at this it. shit. I've got a fucking vice grip holding the fo- microphone to the desk. No, Seems I thought like that was part of its like indie charm. That's why this made this room semi-alternative. Was that was the? Uh, it does have a certain charm for sure. Yeah. A certain communist way of it. What we're saying is, if you'd like to donate to the station, visit mutinyradio.fm and hit that donate button. There's so also a Patreon actually, page. Uh, replace some of this crap with some new crap. And some new used crap. I don't know. If they replaced the soundboard, I'd be kind of sad. Cause no, this it. soundboard is a class. Like, this thing is worthless. This is never going. The, the yeah. soundboard does indeed look like a remnant from the but 70s. Like, seems like it might have been in we the Civil War. We definitely need new XLR cables, new mic clamps for the freaking desk. A new desk would be nice. Uh, Has know. anyone that came through Mutiny ever made it? Define making it. Like, made it to uh, to Albuquerque or like... Like, uh, have they ever succeeded as four? Pull down four. Have they ever succeeded as a comedian? Succeeded as a comedian, um, like money wise. Money wise. Like, has anybody ever gone to mutiny and then they became like Brian Regan? (laughs) They became Brian Regan at the dirtiest. And if we can create a clean killing comic, that would be amazing. But mutiny and in its form now is only about four years old. Yeah. Oh, is I, that right? Yeah. No. I it's thought it was ancient. Is, Brainwash is sixteen. Uh, seventeen. Going is it? on eighteen. No, no. Yeah. Brainwash is started in ninety-two. I believe ninety-two is. I think. It's well, first Tony's year. been doing it first seventeen or eighteen years now. Because I, th- oh, I thought it started like the, the ninety-two is when the very first. Oh, the maybe. Night. But Tony, Tony's been really? doing it for seventeen okay, or eighteen okay. years. Yeah. But uh, in terms, of, it may oh, have been longer than that. Like I said, Ken, I don't know. But I, is no. it still true they're closing over there? I am not no. in the story. Well, who knows? <laughs> Nobody knows? Nobody knows. Support local comedy. Actually go to places and buy things. Yeah, I mean, they have a mean chicken salad. 
Uh, I'm a fan of their fries. Fries are decent. Yeah. yeah. I'm a fan of the people. God damn it, Ken. <laughs> good people, good times. God damn it. Brainwash. Anyway, uh, they're not paying us. Uh, actually, Brainwash, start paying us. Uh, <laughs> uh, For those of you that would like to make permanent, like a lasting contribution to this community radio station, there is an actual Patreon page in which you can subscribe every or, month and pledge a monthly donation. Or, you, or you can hit that donate button on the, uh, the homepage. Uh, MutinyRadio.fm. Yeah, but that's a one-time deal. Yeah, but I mean, you can go to the Patreon too. There, I'm sure, sure there's a link to the Patreon. Okay, because that right will definitely. Like, I was yeah. doing thirty bucks uh, every month, and it. Look who's made a fucking money. No, no, I had to. I had to eventually for a money saving program, like cut it in half. But it'll be coming the back. Miss, the future misses wouldn't let you do it. I got bro, and I'm just we're hitting some time, and yeah, honeymoon and shit like that. You got up. a girl there, Ken? Dude, he's getting fucking married. You didn't know that. You're getting married. He's getting fucking married. Yes, I am. Why? And you're not telling jokes about it. He huh? d- yeah, he does. He tells it's the one where his therapist tells him, you know. Or your couple's counselor. Had, had, well, the couple's counselor part of the joke is not real. But well, of yeah. course not. I mean, you know. <laughs> does you your girlfriend? Therapy, you'd be committed. Does your fiance like your comedy? Yes and no. I mean, she likes hearing me just say crazy that- shit in the house. She does not want me to say it in front of a crowd. Because she is so embarrassed by me. I, I think Dude, she's that's just, why it takes balls to do it. Especially I, if you, I bomb. She's like, I will feel super embarrassed for you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anybody, anybody I date... They are not coming to a fucking open mic. The problem is, oh dude, I I, I love. No, you invite the girl to the showcase. You no, do it for, I bring the open I mic. I think you, you know need why? to bring your girlfriend to make time for the girlfriend. You gotta multitask. You yeah. gotta kind of make her feel like she's there while you ignore her and hang out with the friends. I mean, that's what you're doing. You consider us friends. This man is getting married, ladies and gentlemen. No, I'm talking about. Well, you gotta, you gotta do the socializing part. And the problem with that is, though, is you that you are fighting for time between comedy and her, constantly, and you have to figure out a way to delineate that. Especially when your life is work related. If you look at comedy as a job, you're gonna feel guilty every time you're not here or when you're not trying to make money. They may not like that, but at the end of the day, what is your financial goal? What are you doing? Because if you don't make it here, you're going to be struggling your whole life. They'd be like, I can't afford to have kids with you. My financial goal in life is to earn enough money before I die to be cryogenically frozen and nothing more. I need exactly $80,000. That's all it takes now? You don't think with inflation and price gouging later on that it could be much higher? Well, once it's you're frozen, th- you don't give a shit. No, 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 no. Well, that's the thing is that there are some scam freezing companies that will take your money mm-hmm. and then you get frozen for you know a few years and then they invest your money, right? They take and they put it in the market. If all their investments crap out, they fucking unfreeze everyone in the warehouse. So we could have a nation of Captain Americas or Rip Van Winkles one day. Like, what's going on? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm sure it'll be a whole different world by the time they come up with the technology to reanimate people, you know? Or they're just going to let you, yeah, rot. <laughs> Sorry, my sci-fi fantasy, all these people wake up 100 years later going, My thing is, 75 this go-round's bad enough. Like, mm-hmm. do I want round two? Do I, do I, think about I mean, the, but round two is going to involve like virtual reality, flying cars, space that's travel. What they said back in the eighties. Look at us now. Yeah, but just think of all they'll have to accomplish before they get to reanimation technology. They're getting close. They're getting pretty close. Nanotech. Nanotech. That's close. I, every, that's the thing. We're very close to having infinite lives in the near future. Like, and I mean infinite lives, like in terms of you just don't age anymore. 
Like, but you will eventually die, but you but might have to be picked off versus... You'll eventually die when medical science can no longer intervene, but you're talking like 200 years, right? Okay, and the question is, are those going to be a quality 200 yeah, years? That's, it. that's so, the question. So if it's me walking around like I am right now, well, shoot me now, because, you know, clinical depression for 200 years? God damn it. Yeah, but, but you're, even you're, uh, you're that's better than oblivion. Man. You're, you're a sellable specimen. You uh, got a little bit of... Then why am I single, doing? Ken? <laughs> Well, oh, it's because yeah. you've got a personality, shitty personality. Yeah. But you have 200 years to work on it. 200 years of actualization, self-development, okay? Speaking of 200 years, it's uh, 759. Uh, is who, is there, are there people out here? We have, we, have, we have one person in the audience. Hey, Boris, how you doing? He's back! We have one person in the audience. Let's give it five or ten. Five or ten. The, we're light on the list anyway. There's only fourteen signups. I still need people for high time story times, and I like. Who, okay, who's, well, who's you want to you want to sell that when there are people here. Yeah. Well, if you could drive me back to my home in the East Bay, I would stay. Where do but you live? Bart, unfortunately, I live in Oakland, Fruitvale uh, Village. I grew up in Fremont in the five one zero nickel and dime. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Jersey. Oh, sorry, bud. The nine zero eight. Oh, that sucks. Are we all Diaz brothers now? We're just shooting out our area codes? Yeah. <laughs> Don't Fucking get the joke. Fucking eight mile now. 